Hi everyone, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. We hope that you leave today full of faith, encouraged, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. We encourage you to get involved, not only on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week, because the scripture clearly exhorts us that we should encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that no one might be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue the series that we've begun, which is called True Contentment. Last week, we finished a message called True Contentment in the Hustle. And today, we're going to go a different direction, talking about true contentment in the winning and in the losing. The reason that we're talking about this is because regardless of where you start, all of us are going to have periods in our lives where we feel like we're winning, and sometimes we're going to feel like we've lost something or we'll have suffered some sort of loss in our lives. So let's pray before we get into this word. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your goodness to us in all seasons at all times. We thank you that you're sovereign, in control, and in charge, and that you're worthy of worship, whether we feel like we're winning or when we feel like we've suffered great loss. God, help us to come to that place of trust and faith in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So to do this, what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on this fact, that true contentment comes when I learn to worship God in the winning and in the losing. We're gonna break the message into three parts. We're gonna talk about contentment in the win. We're gonna talk about contentment in the loss. And then finally, we're gonna talk about contentment in our great resurrector, Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible with me today, open to 2 Kings chapter four. We're gonna start in verse eight, picking up with the life and ministry of Elisha who was an Israeli prophet who lived about 800 plus years before Jesus Christ and showed us even in tumultuous times how to live in the life, promises, and purposes of God. So let's start in verse eight. It says, one day Elijah went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold now, I know that this man that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, he meaning Elijah, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to um, to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elijah had said to her. Now, this is another one of those miraculous stories uh, on behalf of a person who made their approach in confidence and trust in God. But before we get into talking about true contentment in the wind, we need to start out by being real. 
Some of you have been discontent with the idea of faith in God and Christianity because you've seen the wrong things. Now, this Shunammite woman had an ambition to be a part of whatever God was doing in whatever way she could. She even arranged things so that her family could be in proximity to the benevolent influence of God. This should be our hearts. This is why she and her husband built that room for Elisha. However, even though she did this, this is much different than maybe what the attitudes that many of you saw, the confusing habits and lifestyles that you saw growing up. You might have thrown off Jesus, religion, and the church because you were surrounded by the hypocrisy which can often be associated with religion. You had people claiming Christ around you, but who never read their Bibles, never attempted to put into practice what Jesus said with any seriousness, and were some of the most hateful, spiteful, out-of-touch people that you could think of. And because of these things, you threw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater. The reason, though, you need to understand that many people live in this hypocritical manner is because they have rules without an actual relationship with God. Famed scholar Josh McDowell actually said it this way, that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You might have seen that in people's parenting at times. They try to impress rules upon their children, but don't build the bridge of relationship that will endear the children to obeying those rules. But this is the antithesis of what the Shunammite woman exemplified. And regardless of what you feel like you've seen, like Elijah with the Shunammite woman, God has been continually passing your way. This is why uh, you need to understand that even this message today is another call to you from the Lord to look past those poor examples, to see Jesus clearly, and to make your way back to God. Now, it's important that we take this seriously and do this, because even as uh, famed poet Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Now, this is if this is true, we can rejoice in the fact that true contentment comes when I worship the God of Israel, giving my first and best to him in all things. When we make room for God, God, just like the Shunammite with what the Shunammite woman, is sure to show up. Elijah, who was God's representative at the time, would stop in whenever he passed that way. Now the woman made room for God as um, and room for Elisha as a priority simply because Elisha was a servant of the Lord. As a wealthy woman, she had what she needed in terms of material wealth and civil security. The room was built to honor God because he was God, not necessarily because the Shunammite was looking for anything in return. Essentially, the Shunammite woman learned to worship God while she was winning in life. Now, though that was her case, we often get it twisted. Most people do what they want to do and then ask God to bless it. The unfortunate nature of this, though, is that this isn't lordship, the very thing that God requires of all of us as humanity. God has no obligation, none whatsoever, 
to follow the pursuits of your heart or the pursuits of my heart. When we act like it do- he does, it's why we end up in so much trouble in our relationships, in our careers, in our finances, and even in our mental states. That's why in 2 Kings 4.16, he said again to, to the woman through Elisha, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. What was God kind of trying to communicate through this? God was actually telling us that we need to order our lives like the Shunammite woman so that he can give good things to us in the right way and at the proper time. This is what was spoken of years before by King David, the psalmist, when he said in Psalm 37, verses three and four, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But you have to notice the order there. He said, delight yourself in the Lord first and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. We often want to invert that saying, God, give me the desires of my heart and then I'll delight myself in you. But God says, no, the order of priority needs to remain. And the moral of the story is, we need to be about God's business and then he'll be about ours. What's interesting in the midst of this is how God responded to the Shunammite's priorities. Some of us, like the Shunammite woman, have gone so long without certain experiences in life that we're scared to even ask for the desires of our hearts. Even as I speak about this, some ideas are popping in some of your minds. What we need to understand, though, is that when we find contentment in and delight in Jesus Christ, the blessings we weren't even looking for, the ones the rest of the world is actually running after, often find a way of showing up in our lives. I know thankfully this was even my story with my beautiful godly wife, B. It's when I was running hard after God and she was doing likewise in a metaphorical vertical approach, we somehow by God's sovereignty in hand found a way to intersect and therefore come together in love and then find a way to continue to run hard after his kingdom and his purposes together to this day. And that's contentment in the wind. But we also need to have a, uh, a, a capacity to find contentment in the loss. And when we think about contentment in the loss, we understand that when we feel like we're winning, it reveals how aware we are of the source of our blessings. Do we thank God for them? Or do we somehow think that we're in our intelligence, our aptitudes, or our strength, the source of all of these achievements? On the opposite side of things, when things are lost, it reveals what's in our hearts. And this is what would happen with the Shunammite woman after her season of winning, when she would also suffer a loss, where she would have to learn to be content in the loss and worship God. Let's pick up in 2 Kings 4, starting in verse 18. It said, When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. 
Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he, the husband, said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. That's not the time you meet with the man of God. She said, All is well. Then he saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there's a Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he, meaning Elisha, arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to him, meaning Elisha, and said, untold him, the, lot, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing down to the ground, which was traditionally a sign of worship. Then she picked up her son and went out. Now, when we read this um, encounter of her loss, we see that, much like the pandemic, the boy's tragedy seemed to come out of nowhere. The woman was sure to be hoping for the recovery of her dying child as she held him in her arms. But the child, unfortunately, died. The question we need to ask ourselves is, should the woman of God, who had faith in God and his promises, have been content with that? Well, when we think about things like this, we can understand that I can be content when the things that are taken away from me, when they're taken away, I know it's not because of God's lack of love for, that I experience this loss, but it's actually in the midst of his love. I, I think about this in digging a little bit deeper and think about how often we experience pain and the pain that we experience leads us to consider what's most important in life. And I ask myself the question, how often are our lives reordered for the better when we remember what's most important? God is ultimately using the circumstances, even the losses in our lives to lead us to eternal freedom in Jesus. 
Now, why do I say that? It's only because generations later, there was a man named the Apostle Paul who was writing to a church in Galatia. And he said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, in worship and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But to set us free, Jesus has to change our perspective on sin. Many of you have heard me mention a Manhattan pastor named Timothy Keller before. And he said this, that sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. And when we focus on these good things, it's understandable because they give us some sense of joy and fulfillment. But we miss the mark and sin when we begin to find our contentment in the good things rather than the giver of those good things. When I'm in sin, God can allow that which I was worshiping before him to be taken away. And it's a good thing because the good things that would turn into idols would eventually disappoint and enslave us if left to be worshiped. Let me, let me give you an example. How often has your happiness, state of well-being, or even your peace of mind been destroyed by the loss of a job, a relationship, romantic or otherwise, or something that you put your confidence in, something maybe like your looks? Now, when we talk about this, it doesn't imply that all loss is God taking things away. It does, however, speak of a larger picture of God's sovereignty and eternal ends that are being worked out beyond our individual experience. Now, what am I talking about here? Uh, I need to press home this point that our contentment is found when we understand that we are a part, a part of God's redemptive meta-narrative and not the central figure. Jesus Christ is the star, the protagonist, and plays the key role in all of history. Our culture today, though, promotes a pronounced sense of myopia and narcissism, and that's why the pain of our losses are accentuated as they are, because we think that ultimately it's all about us. And what we need to understand is that though deeply loved individuals, we're deeply loved individuals, we're humbled to realize that we are mere beneficiaries supporting cast members in God's grand history. And if we have that understanding in humility, then we'll understand loss as a part of his eternal purposes. And what we have to embrace is that whether it be the passing of a loved one, a financial collapse, or a health challenge, loss will at some point hit all of us. It's inevitable. This can be particularly challenging for those who are used to succeeding in life, who wouldn't characterize their journey by major setbacks. When you're used to winning, it can be especially difficult, an especially difficult task to find contentment in the worship of God when this winning streak is disrupted. Now, with the woman in this uh, Shunammite story, we see that she began to flail because unbeknownst to her, 
She, though she appreciated God, she wasn't as secure in his heart towards her as she might have previously thought. And that's no different than maybe friends and family members that you've seen around you and how they've responded in the midst of loss. How often have you heard of people making decisions to distance themselves from the faith and from contentment in God when the things that they cherish are lost? In those moments, our convictions become more emotional than logical or rational. It becomes a challenge not to forget the testimony of all the goodness of God that he's shown us before the moment of pain. We begin to question God's care, his character, and at times even his existence, his intentions towards us. But we need to embrace the fact that temporary loss is a part of life, and I must learn to worship God in the midst of it. If that's how I'm to find true contentment, though, what am I to do? Well, we're to remember what a famed pastor named A.W. Tozer said many years ago. He said, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered authority. And the first thing that the woman do, uh, did understanding this was to set the child that had been lost before God on Elisha's bed. Now, some of you have tried to go to God in the midst of your pain or loss before and found it to be disappointing, to say the least. But it could often be because of what uh, cultural uh, commentator Ravi Zechariah said when he said, I think the reason we sometimes have the false sense that God is so far away is because that is where we have put him. We have kept him at a distance. And then when we are in need and call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. He is exactly where we have left him. Now, that might be the case for somebody who hasn't cultivated a relationship with God, but when you choose to, and all of you can choose to do so today, when you choose to cultivate a relationship with God based on his word to you, you can have confidence to go to him outside of the confines of tradition and dead religion. 2 Kings 4, 25 and 26 say again, when the man of God saw her, meaning the Shunammite coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's a Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? What God's clearly communicating here is that just like Elisha, God cares about your well-being. He cares about my well-being. But it, when, 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 even in understanding that, we need to embrace what we see in verse 27. It said, she came to the mountain of God, to the man of God, and she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she's in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. The reality is, though God cares, we need to commit to not suffering alone. In the past, I've been guilty of getting angry when I shouldn't. In times of need, getting offended with people for not showing up at my door when they had no idea there was even any trouble. Have you been there before? The boy who had been growing up for years in good health and up to that point of his head injury, no news was literally good news. We cannot expect even the most gifted and intuitive people in our lives to be mind readers. In loss, you have to communicate your need to God and to God's people who can help you. God leaves it to us 
to reach out. And the reason why is because it's the activation of our faith. Now, verse 30, in verse 30, the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. What the Shunammite needed and what we all need is an eternal perspective in our devotion to God so that when things are out of the realm of our control and understanding, our response is still worship. We don't need to make God our last resort or our plan B in anything. The woman hastened to God and God hastens to answer our cries. Gehazi wasn't supposed to greet anyone on the road. He was to make haste to the child's dead body. While you're looking for a solution to your situation, you need to involve God with earnest. The staff of Elisha was putting a stake in the ground, saying, I'm determined to get God involved in my situation. And what we need to understand is that if the first thing that you try doesn't work, God's not done. You need to keep pressing. And this is what it looks like to worship God and find contentment in him in the midst of a loss. Verse 33 says, Elisha came into the house. He saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And how often is that true of us when we've prayed to God that we don't know what he's doing or why he's doing it? And the Shunammite couldn't see what was going on behind the closed door. In fact, she probably would have misunderstood it if she did see it. I know that if I saw Elijah laying on my dead child's body, I would say, get off, Elijah. But this is how it is when God's working behind the scenes. All we know is that he's able, we've made a petition, and that we need to trust God Almighty with the results. In verse 34 and 35, it says about Elijah that he did something strange to our ears, but when you understand the character of God, you'll, it'll put it in a bit more perspective. It said that he got on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself upon him until the child became warm. Then he got up, walked back and forth in the room, then did it again until the child was literally resurrected and revived. Now, Elijah stretched out on the boy multiple times. And what does that mean for us? We need to push, which is an acronym meaning pray until something happens, whether in our hearts or in our circumstances. God is going to change something one way or another. And this is particularly pertinent to me and to our family as you might say to yourself, well, pastor, you, you, you have this word in you and you know, you, nothing's really going on in your life. But for the past six years, we've had to go to God again and again and again as we believed for the healing of our son who's had increasing measures of epileptic seizures and things are getting better, thank God. But it's after pushing again and again and again for many years while finding our contentment in him, learning to worship in the midst of the difficulties, knowing that we can trust him even when we couldn't see what he was doing. It will be the same for you. It was the same for this woman. Now, Elisha said, listen, in this moment, what we're seeing is that God wanted to change her circumstance. But what is it that God needs to change in our hearts as we push in him? Well, Elijah touched the eyes, the mouth, and the hands of the dead boy. And God wants to change, literally, 
in the moments of loss, what we are setting our eyes on, what we're feeding on, and our behaviors in the midst of the losses. This is what repentance looks like, and it's what God uses to bring us to life. And so what God wants to do in loss is bring you in alignment with his word. So ask yourself the question, are your habits, are your relationships, is the use of your time and your resources in alignment with his word? Well, if you do, you'll find contentment in the midst of the loss and actually see him as a resurrector of that which was lost. And that's why we can ultimately find contentment in our great resurrector, Jesus Christ. The woman's response was worship after the resurrection of our, her son. It should be ours as well as we serve the resurrector. The son of God himself was winning in life when he won against the forces of darkness in his earthly ministry life. But then he was taken away at the cross only to be resurrected, ascend, and is preparing to one day make his ultimate return. Think of when you're thinking of contentment and the winning and then the losing and then in resurrection life. Think of the track record and the promises of Jesus in regards to winning and losing. There are several times that Jesus said that loss, though incalculably painful, leads to his redemptive purposes. That's what you need to see. In his overarching story, loss leads to his redemptive purposes. And therefore, we need to worship him in the midst of it. This is why our contentment can always be in the resurrector. Let me give you at least two examples of things that he said. In John 12, 24 and 25, Jesus talking about the death, his death on the cross would say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses, loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus was saying, by the loss of my life, I'm going to birth the church. Redemptive purposes. But he's also saying, listen, make sure that the good things aren't the ultimate things. Don't love your life, spend, love your life and lose it. Instead, hate it in metaphorically in this age and keep it for eternal life. He also goes on talking about the Holy Spirit in John 16, verses 6 and 7. He says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Talking about his death on the cross again. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so if I heard that, I would be like, Jesus, no, Jesus, no, I want you in the flesh. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to see the things, the miraculous things you continue to do. But he said, it's to your advantage that I go. Because unless I die and I'm resurrected, I can't send you the one who will make you a new creation, free you from your sins, bring you into eternal life and the life of true contentment that you've been longing for. And so we see that Jesus, our great resurrector, came into the world and took on flesh. This was the gift of the incarnation. He became just like us in every way to become a merciful and faithful high priest for us. He never sinned. He showed God's compassion by opening blind eyes, unstopping deaf ears, raising children from the dead, um, delivering those tormented from demons by demons. This was all part of his winning. Yet he also died a gruesome substitutionary death on the cross for our sin against God. This was great loss. 
Like Elisha, who came face to face with the death of the child by stretching out his body on the boy, Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross to literally absorb death for us. Just as the Shunammite woman's son was resurrected from the dead, God raised his only son, Jesus, so that we might find true contentment in him, in the winning and in the losing. We do so because he, the giver of all good things, is looking out for our best interests and remains worthy of worship in the winning and the losses. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. So what are we to do today? We're to repent of our sin, putting anything, even a good thing, as of more importance in our lives than God, his life, and his purposes for us. We're to trust in the one who, whether in gain or loss, by his resurrection power, will ultimately lead us to life. And as we do, we can have true contentment, in this life and eternal life in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you hear this message and you say to yourself, I wanna live that way, but truth be told, I am good at worshiping God in the good times, but I struggle during the losses. And if that's you, I wanna pray for you today. God Almighty, I pray that you would strengthen the hearts of my brothers and sisters and you would help them by your power to strengthen their conviction, their perspective, and their resolve in eternal things. That they would see that even in the midst of their losses, that God, you are redemptive in your character, in all your ways, in all your plans. And God, that you would help them to be firm in this truth according to your work and that they would give you the worship that you're due, whether in the winning and the lose or in the losing, because you are the great resurrector of us and of all things. God, we honor you for that in Jesus name. And for some of you, you might hear this message and say, you know what? I've never given my life to Jesus. And I've never, like the Shunammite woman, made room for God to place him at the front and center and the priority of my life. But you know what? I take a survey of my life and I know I've blown it and I need to do so today. And if that's you, would you uh, pray this prayer with me as I lead us in prayer? Almighty God, I know that I've made a mess of my life because I've put even good things as ultimate things. And They've been taskmasters and tyrants to my soul, my mind, and my heart. And my life is in shambles because I've lived separated from you. But today, I turn to you. And I turn to you, making room for you, just like the Shunammite woman, asking you to forgive me for my sin and rebellion. I know I deserve death and hell, but I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin and be raised three days later so I could have forgiveness and new life in you. Forgive me today and show me how to walk with you the rest of my days like the Shunammite, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, the good news is God says you're a new creation. And the good news is God shows you how to make room for him through his word. So I want you to visit secondcitychurch.com slash newlife. There you can find both instruction and resources in how to take these next steps in God as you get connected to a community that can help propel you on in this new life in Him. We hope that you are strengthened in the fact that whether in wins or losses, 
God is sovereign. God is worthy of our worship and God will meet you every time you come to him as he's a resurrector of all your days and all your lives as you put your trust in Jesus. So let's walk with him today. Let's walk with him throughout this week and give him the honor that he's due in Jesus name. God bless you. We'll see you this week.